Very good. Wow. Hey, I just uh, I want to welcome all of those uh, who are on our live stream tonight, uh, our Fijian pastors from all around the world that will be watching, and uh, my, some of my friends like Manasa, I'm sure you'll be on, if not now, a bit later on with uh, Soko, and, uh, but other people from possibly Uganda or wherever which will be watching. Great to have you with us tonight, and uh, it is just awesome that you've all come out especially uh, given uh, that there's an All Blacks game on. And don't anybody tell me the result or I will remove you from fellowship for about 25 years because I'm going to watch it later on. <laughs> but uh, it is so good to have you here. And uh, we have just been having the most outstanding time. Uh, I mean, this morning's message, for those of you who were here, I mean, was world class. And uh, on uh, Matthew, the parable of the talents, I mean, I've preached on that dozens of times around the world. And uh, man, this morning, I just thought, I don't think I'll be preaching that again. It was outstanding. Otherwise, I'll just collect all his notes and do it. But uh, I want us to stand and give a welcome to Apostle Mike Connell, please. Fantastic. Oh, thank you. Wonderful to be here with you again. Oh, look, this is uh, absolutely outstanding. Can I check what the score was before I came? No, yeah, well, you just be quiet, otherwise it'll be the end of the meeting. So you don't want revelation and, uh, then? No, I don't want, re not that sort of revelation. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we, we, we've been in a series, really, of addressing <laughs> the kingdom of God and some of the, the parables. And, you know, I, you know most people I don't think realise, eh, that, uh, that most of Jesus' teaching was about preparation. And he really spoke all of these parables, kingdom parables, that really uh, speak to the very heart of what Christianity is actually meant to be about. And I just want to welcome you, um, Apostle Mike. We're going to um, delve a lot deeper tonight into um, end time events. Uh, we're going to talk about what's commonly referred to as the rapture. Uh, we're going to be talking about the Great Tribulation and things like that. And there is, um, there's one thing that's really important as we talk about these topics. Everybody has got their idea of what is true and what is right. And most people have been proven so far to be wrong in the sense of people who have tried to say that Jesus is coming back at such and such date or this is going to happen at such and such date. It's never happened like that. I think our, rev our, our understanding and our revelation of end time events, and in particular the book of Revelation, is limited. And that is the case tonight. We are sharing, and Apostle Mike will be sharing, what he understands and a little bit about what I understand about what is the end times and what's going to happen. So I really do encourage you to ask us questions, but tonight there are going to be, some of you will ask questions that simply can't be answered because actually we don't know the answer. And I have said to people many times, and they've asked me about end time events, I've just said, I don't know. And I don't pretend to try to know because I just think there are things that are hidden that are still being revealed. You know, there was a man, I don't know if you remember him, Offler, who came up with um, the whole thing about the end time events. And, and it, it formed the foundation of so much teaching. But the reality was that his understanding, his revelation, which was absolutely transformational, but it was limited. Do you, do you remember Offler? 
Yeah, yeah, and, and it's charts. I've got all the, all the original charts. Because well, we've seen people come up with charts and dates over the years yeah, of yeah. all kinds of events, yeah, yeah, and yeah. not one of them's come about. So <laughs> I tend to avoid the speculative yes. and stay around the warnings of Jesus and yeah. uh, because uh, the warnings tell us how to live. Yeah. And uh, if, you, if you read the story of the children of Israel, if you'd, if you'd ask them, where are you all going and what's going to happen? They'd, they'd have all been able to tell you their call into an inheritance, but actually the majority failed in the wilderness and never entered into what God had mm. because they never learned how to live today in a way that responded to God's prepara preparation process. Yeah. So my feeling around this is that we can look at what and, and open up what we understand, but our understanding is limited, like you said. We don't, I don't know at all. I'm just finding my way through it. But there are some things that are really clear. Yeah. And the things that are really clear, that's the things that you should be listening to and doing. Mm. Uh, like someone said, they said, well, I don't understand all the Bible, but actually the parts I do understand, I need to act on. <laughs> and some of the things we share tonight are really quite straightforward, especially Jesus' warnings to prepare. Yeah, absolutely. So what we're going to do tonight, um, Apostle Mike, is, is we're just going to delve right back into the book of Revelation in chapter 12, which we spent some time on last week, but I want to go into deeper detail. So what I want to do is read Revelation 12. It'll be up on the screen, I hope. Um, if we could do that, please. But Revelation 12, uh, 1 to 17. And uh, let me just read it to you. A great sign appeared... It'll get up there eventually. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and on her head a crown of 12 stars. And she was with child. And she cried out, being in labor and in pain to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven. And behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and 10 horns and on his heads were seven diadems. Uh, verse 4, and his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she gave birth, she might devour the child. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that there she would be nourished for 1,260 days. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war. And they were not strong enough. And there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the dragon was thrown down. And the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth. And his angels were thrown down with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ has come for the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down who accuses them before the throne of before God day and night and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb because of the word of their testimony and they did not love their lives even when faced with death for this reason rejoice O heavens and you who dwell on them woe to the earth and the sea because the devil has come down to you having great wrath knowing that he has only a short time and when the dragon saw that, they, that he was thrown down to the earth, 
He persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child and the two wings of an eagle were given to the woman so that she could fly into the wilderness to her her place where she was nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent and the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman so that he might cause her to be swept away with the flood. But the earth helped the woman and the earth opened its mouth and drank up the river which the dragon poured out of his mouth. So the dragon was enraged with the woman, went off to make war with the rest of her children who kept the commandments of God and hold the testimony of Jesus. So this passage, of course, for me, is the key passage on end time events to understand. And actually, it's a passage that repeats various events within the same chapter to bring greater description. But he's just trying to get some concepts clear. And of course, the issue here, um, Mike, is that the woman, she's got this child that she births. And if, if we bring all the bits together, it actually results in a war in the heavens. I want you just to unfold that a little bit for us, please. I think what, what you've said, if you, if you look into this, is you get an overlaying uh, of, of uh, the scriptures where they give you a bit of an expansion of it and then they come back again and then go back over it and show you something else. So you see that uh, where it talks about the woman and uh, all of the language in here is picture language. So you've got the woman, you've got the great fiery red dragon, you've got the man-child, and then you've got the remnant of a seed. So you've got a range of people in there. So the important thing is trying to identify who they might be. So some people take the historical perspective and therefore the whole book of Revelation, something's already happened. But John was told to prophesy about things to come. So we hold the position that this is yet to come. So this is describing now the culmination of God's plan. And uh, when we look uh, through God's plan, we see it was always his intention to have uh, to bring a company of sons, meaning men and women, into the adoption, into full placement of sonship, and that this would require first placement in the family, then preparation, and then positioning as sons. So this, to me, is then God's plan coming to its fullness. Yep. So what you said is very correct, that Revelations 12, 13, and 14 actually uh, concisely lay out, they're like an interruption in the book of Revelation, saying this is what's about to all happen. And uh, so we see there that the woman speaking of the church, a company of people from within that is birth the man-child. I believe that is the, uh, that's the positioning of sons. I believe that's the calling forth of those who have responded to God's call to prepare. And as we're well aware, not all the church responds to God's call to prepare. Uh, so we read through Revelations 2 and 3. It, it concerns many promises. It's addressed to the church, but contains promises to those who overcome. So clearly, there are those who overcome. There are those who don't overcome. Those who overcome, there is reward, consequence for their life of uh, serving God, being faithful to him and overcoming. For those who don't overcome, clearly, there's other consequences for them. So when we look at Revelations 2 and 3, within the church, the woman, there are those who overcome, those who don't overcome, two groups of people. So now we come here and we see something else. 
and it takes us and puts another picture of this. We see the woman then clothed with the sun and then the great fiery red dragon speaking, uh, uh, the great uh, is the word speaking of his power, enormous power. The uh, fiery speaks of his anger uh, and, and uh, red, the, uh, the, the fiery red is the anger of the devil. And then uh, it talks here about standing before the woman ready to devour the child. And of course you see through history when God was about to birth deliverance to Israel, the dragon was there to destroy the children. We see when Jesus was about to come forth and bring deliverance to the nation, then the dragon is there to destroy the children. And now we see right now in the end of the age, again, as God is about to bring forth to manifestation his purpose to bring sons and daughters to maturity, to catch them up to the throne, now the same thing is happening. There is a warfare against the children. And we see that with the increase and spread right across the earth with a widespread abortion, millions of children being killed and their destiny stolen every year. So then it says that he, she bore the man-child. So no matter what the devil did, no matter how angry he was, uh, he cannot stop God's plan coming about. And we can't, what we can do is cooperate with the plan and participate in the preparation process. Ultimately, God decides who overcome and who don't overcome. And he says, she bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. Her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And then it begins to overlay it again and says what happens when the man-child or when the overcomers are birthed or called forth from the church, they are caught up, harpazo, and we'll touch that later, the word that's commonly used or retranslated as rapture, they are caught up to God and his thrones. And notice this passage is quite different when we get to 1 Thessalonians 4, they are caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Here we're caught up, this is the catching up to the throne. So, and it says, and they're to rule the nations with the rod of iron. Going back to Revelations 2, the only people who will rule the nations with the rod of iron are the overcomers. Yeah. So again, this is another clear reference to the fact that this man-child is a group of people from within the church who overcome. In other words, they're living a life committed, faithful, overcoming the challenges Jesus warned about in Revelations 2 and 3. And now, because of that faithfulness, they are caught up to God and his throne. To caught up to the throne means they are brought to a realm of authority. And that triggers a war in the spirit realm. So Ephesians 6 tells us our warfare is not against flesh and blood. Our warfare is against principalities and powers, against wicked spirits in the spirit world. So since Jesus uh, uh, has, has died, risen from the dead, he, the, the, there's a preparation process being taking place. So I see it's the catching up or the encounter with God that brings people to a realm of authority hmm. that triggers a war in the spirit realm. And no longer is the devil enabled to occupy the realms and positions that he has, which he stole from Adam. Yeah. <laughs> you remember in Luke chapter 4 when Jesus was tempted by the devil, he, he said to him, he said, he showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said, all of these have been betrayed or delivered over to me by the betrayal of Adam. So he's saying then, he's showing him all the authority he's got to influence the kingdoms of the world through history. And he's saying, all of that belonged to Adam, but I conquered him and I got it. Now we see the fulfillment of Jesus' work 
and now a company of sons are occupying the, the, the realms of authority God always intended for them. And the consequence of that is no longer can demons occupy or no longer can the devil occupy that realm in the heavens. Now he's cast to the earth. I don't understand all that means, but it does tell us that is the trigger of catalytic, catalytic end time events. Yeah. So I believe that triggers the tribulation. That triggers then massive upheaval on a scale the world has never seen. Yep, yep. And uh, so we see that a war broke out in heaven. Obviously, Michael and the angels are, are, are engaged in this, so they must be waiting for this moment. Yep. And when the sons are caught up to the throne, then it triggers the warfare in the heavens. As a result of the sons kicking up, there's a warfare to dispossess the demonic realm. The devil, the, uh, Michael and the angels are released. The devil and his angels are cast out of that. Now they're into the earth realm. Now, I, I have no idea what that looks like, but it can't be good. Well, of course, we, we have the whole concept of the rule of the Antichrist, haven't we? Which Absolutely. is a three-and-a-half-year rule of the Antichrist on this earth. And, you know, that's where a lot of people start talking about. Well, well, it says, rejoice, O heavens, and those that dwell in them. In other words, for those who overcome, this is your time to rejoice, but woe to those who are dwellers on the earth. Yeah. Because the devil has come back and he's incredibly angry. Yeah. And he's now going to take it out on someone. Yeah. So it's interesting that the fulfillment of God's plan to bring us into a realm of authority triggers the problems in the earth. Yeah. Yeah. So the thought that we would be escaped out of it or just pulled out of it is nonsense it's nonsense it is and you see that's what i'm um, so often people refer to as the rapture that we're going to get raptured before the great tribulation or be before this moment which is just simply not true but what you've got is a group of people who qualify to actually wage warfare yes called the sons and daughters of god yes and actually, Scripture has got that pattern for us right through. For yes. you know, it talks about male child, yes. Moses, a male child, and, and others. Do you want to talk about that for a moment? Well, if you notice in here, it says, uh, now verse thirteen: When the dragon saw them being cast the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the man child. So now there's a massive persecution against the church. Yes. And it says, and the woman is given two wings of an evil. She might fly into the wilderness to her place that she's nourished for three and a half years from the presence of the serpent. Now, two wings like a great eagle, it, it must signify something. Yes. So you kind of got to go and look back. And then it says uh, concerning uh, the Lord speaking of Israel, he said, I bore you to myself on eagle's wings. Well, where's the eagle in that? Well, I believe it's referring to the sons of God, to Moses, who's a type of the sons of God. So you just have a look at Moses. Moses an ordinary man, but out of his encounter with God, he's given extraordinary nation-changing authority. Mm. So when he goes to confront Pharaoh, the Bible is very clear. He confronted not just Pharaoh himself, but the gods of Egypt. Yeah. And the gods of Egypt, so every one of those plagues were an attack on a god that was worshipped and the demonic power behind it. Hmm. Till finally you get to the last one, and, and of course then they're delivered out of the nation. So when he says, I bore you to myself on eagle's wings, what he's referring to, that Moses acted as a deliverer. He was given authority to overcome a nation, to overcome yeah. the demonic powers that ruled and held the people in slavery, yeah. and to release them, which is a prophetic picture of the end times of this very passage. Yes, it is. And shows in history 
how actually it took place physically, literally. Hmm. Hmm. You just go back. What did he do? He operated in the supernatural power of God, overcame and disempowered the demons who ruled over Egypt, controlled the people, and they were delivered and released into the wilderness. Because the wilderness is a place of preparation for inheritance. Yeah. So clearly the woman is protected by the sons of God in the wilderness for a season. Now, I don't all know all that that understands because it's using prophetic imagery back there of uh, what happened to Israel. Yep. And of course, if you follow it through, Israel then had an encounter with God, and God's purpose was that they would become a kingdom of priests unto him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, of course, and, and uh, we, all the stuff about, and they overcame, I mean, I want to talk about overcoming, because, you see, when you understand that God's looking for a company that qualify through their lifestyle, whatever, they've overcome, that they then qualify to, to rulership and authority and power. See, all of a sudden, that puts all the challenges in life in place. Oh, that yes. the testing of your faith produces yes. blah, 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 blah. Or well, produces character. Exactly. The and trying of your faith works patience, and when patience has done its work, it makes you mature. So the whole thing all yeah. comes together, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like you've got to understand that your walk, once you became a Christian, is a walk of preparation. So the testings and the trials are all part of actually bringing you through to becoming an overcomer. Absolutely. See, and, and see, They are your opportunity to overcome. They're your training ground for overcoming. Yeah. That's why some of the issues keep coming around. If you fail to overcome... God will bring it around in another form. It's the same deal. It's the same issue, but it's just, will you overcome it this time around? Will you actually lean into God and draw on his resources and prevail and grow? Yeah, yeah. So I think that God uh, is able to uniquely plan a training course for every one of us. Yes. That matures us. And we've got to see that that training process is individual it is designed for me, for you, for every person here, unique, but it is God's training ground. Yes, to your personal teach life, you your finances. And to teach work. you how to overcome. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Well, you see that even with Jesus where at the age of 12, he's seen in the temple and uh, he's sitting under the teachers, he's asking questions and, and, and he's listening to them. And the parents come and they're amazed. What are you doing here? And he said, don't you know I must be about my father's business? He's actually presented himself under tutors and governors to be trained and prepared. And then his parents didn't understand and they said, no, you come with us. He submitted to them or subject to them. And they, in other words, he submitted to what they wanted. And instead of training in the temple, he now trains as a tradesman in a small village, in a lowly place. Yep, yep, yep. And that is his preparation process. It says he grew in wisdom, in stature, and in favor with God and man. So in other words, his, his preparing process was under the leadership of his father, learning a trade, taking over the family business, establishing a character and a reputation in a community, mm-hmm. growing in wisdom, stature, and favor with God and man. Right. Those are the things we need to grow into, wisdom yep. and favor with God and man. Yep. Now, I, I want to just keep moving into the book of Revelation for a moment because you've now got the man-child's been taken up and now you've got the rest of the church 
and there are clearly two companies of Christians. Absolutely. And I want you just to talk about those two companies of Christians because some survive and some are killed ultimately. Well, it says in verse 17 that the dragon was enraged with the woman, but you see the woman was protected from his presence. So it says he went and made war with the remnant of his seed to keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. So there must be some people there who are protected and some people who actually experience that warfare, that conflict, and lose their lives. But they, they, they lose their lives like modern-day martyrs because they refuse to give up their testimony of Christ. Yeah. So we've got people there who are caught up to the throne. We've got people uh, in a place of protection. And then those who presumably didn't respond to that protection. And now they're exposed to the full wrath of the dragon. Yeah. Now, now, because questions come through here tonight, and, and I don't want to spend too long on this, but, you know, um, during all of this action, this great tribulation, you've got people who are not Christian. What's happening to them? Well, they'll experience great persecution. Like it says that, he, that the dragon poured out a flood from his mouth and the earth helped the woman and swallowed it up. So what does all that mean? Well, the dragon, see, the language is symbolic. So then when we look at the dragon, we're talking about then the devil. Uh, when it says uh, the earth, it must be talking about people. Yes. And, and then when it's talking about out of his, uh, there's a flood came out of his mouth. Well, the nearest scripture you can get, you've got to compare spiritual with spiritual. Jesus said, out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water, speaking of the spirit. So we are to, through, our, through the words of our mouth, mirrors to the life-giving power of the Holy Ghost. Now he said that the devil is spewing out of his mouth. So I believe that speaks of demonic defilement, demonic activity, that there's a persecution and the earth helps the woman in that it, the, the, it, simply it's spread out not just on the church, it's right across the whole earth. So no one escapes the wrath at that time yeah that's what's called the great tribulation that'll be tribulation like no person has ever experienced before it's a season in earth's history that's climactic in that yeah. sense yeah so so a person is not a christian at that time what what, what do you think is going to happen with them i i think there'll be an outpouring of god's spirit because god's a gracious god i think they'll have the opportunity to come to christ i think when they Fair see enough. the outworking of that and they see a company of people ministering the life of God in, in the supernatural power of God, I think that there'll be a massive turning to Christ at that time. In the Great Tribulation. Turn. Yes, I think there will be. So do I. Uh, I'm convinced that that'll be a, a turning right across globally because the war, if I put it this way, whenever I've done deliverance and the demons have manifested openly invisible, it's immediately, Jesus said, this is the kingdom of God manifesting in the earth now. And I found people... When they see it like that, they understand clearly what the warfare is. Frequently come to Christ just by seeing that. So I think this turmoil, there's no escape anywhere from what's going to happen. And uh, so I think people will turn to Christ. Okay, so um, Mike and I agree on what I'm about to say, just to um, make sure that you get this into context. So what we've actually got is we've got this moment in history where this woman, the church, births a man-child, wages war in heaven, the devil and all of his angels, his demons, are cast to the earth. It initiates what the Bible refers, or many people refer to the Great Tribulation. And there is great wrath, great violence, great terrible, terrible things mm. happening. And then, of course, we get to the end of that three and a half years 
of, um, of, uh, of the Great Tribulation. And of course, it is at that point in time, at the end of the Great Tribulation, is where we believe, and I believe Scripture is very, very clear, is what's called, what many Christians call the rapture. And we, so we're going to talk about that for a moment. But I want to make it very clear, and I want to make it clear over the internet, that the greatest deception that ever came to the church in the last 200 years was the teaching that Christians would be raptured out of this earth before the Great Tribulation. There was a deception in 1830 that got popular in 1860 and then was promoted by Darby, the Schofield Bible, and then the book, The Late Great Planet Earth and the Charismatic Movement to attempt to deceive the entire Charismatic Movement and what God was doing. Mm. So I'm going to read to you that passage um, in the scriptures, and it's in 1 Thessalonians 4, 14 to 18. And you see, um, this is such an important passage to understand. And it says this in 1 Thessalonians 4, 14 to 18, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who, who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, <coughs> with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and remain, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. I mean, that's a wow passage. Yeah, it is indeed. And of course, what we're talking about is Christ coming with those who were dead, who qualified to be raised in the first resurrection, and he's coming, and he's coming to establish a thousand-year reign of Christ yes. on the earth. So I want you just to explain that a little bit for us, please. Well, of course, this is one where people have got so many opinions and things around it. So let's just have a look at some of the statements that are made in there. You notice it says, uh, it says in verse 17, we will meet the Lord in the year. And that word meet is a Greek word that refers to going out and meeting someone who's very important to walk with them back to where they're coming. Yeah. So when people look at this one or look at this verse, commonly it's interpreted that Christians will suddenly be just caught up. They'll be whooshed out of everything. They'll be taken away out of the earth, taken into some far off place. And whatever that is. So the common representation of it is Christians sort of vanishing and going through the ceiling and going up into the air and so on. But the language of this and the words of it don't agree with that at all. This statement here, to meet the Lord, meeting the Lord, there's another place it's used very, very clearly. And uh, that's found in Acts 28 verse 15. And it says uh, in verse 15, And when the brethren heard about us, they came out as far as the market of Apius and three inns, and when Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. And from there, the brethren heard about us. They came out to meet us, and then they, uh, they, they took us back, took them back. So basically, Paul is on his way, and people came out. They heard he was coming, and they came to meet him and walk with him back 
to the city that he was going to, to Rome. Mm. So that's the very same word, meet the Lord. It's, the usage of it is coming out to meet someone and then taking them back. So it's like meeting a dignitary and accompanying them back to where you've come from. So when it says meet the Lord in the year, the Lord is descending to the earth. He's, he's not taking us somewhere. Yeah. He's, this is scripture is about him returning to the earth yep. to rule in glory over all of the nations. So we are going out to meet and welcome him. And uh, that's the context of that. And, uh, <laughs> Which actually, if we think about it, it's the same concept as, as the parable in Matthew 25 of the bridegroom because the, they, they go out to meet. Yes, and then welcome them back. And welcome them yeah. back to the in. celebration, yes. Exactly. Exactly. So they go out to meet and welcome them back. So that's exactly the same kind of language used there. And there's another uh, story in the Bible that's not unlike that, and that's where uh, Jesus comes walking on the water. Now, I mean, there's just a miracle in there straight away, but if you look at it, it's actually also prophetic at the end time, walking on the water. The Lord always speaks of the seas, of the nations, mm -hmm. him, him coming in authority on the nations. Mm -hmm. And Peter, uh, symbolic of, the, of an overcomer, goes out to meet him. So not everyone got out of the boat. He gets out of the boat, out of, the, out of the, where all the other disciples were and walks out to meet him. And then the whole boat is brought immediately uh, caught up and brought to the other side. So I see there that, first of all, that meeting with the Lord. Now, it uses the word meet the Lord in the air. Now, most people have think of the air as going up, but every time the word air is used, the original language refers to the air around us. And uh, let me just give you the exact, at least I can find about some scriptures on that. Here we go. I, I want to, because uh, that's where it's important to understand, where are we meeting the Lord? It says, to meet the Lord in the air, you know. So, so in 1 Thessalonians, it says we're caught up, we'll meet him in the air. Now, the word is not defined, but if you look at the original language, it means the, the air we breathe. It's in, the, it's in this realm you're in now, like we are in the air now. Yes. That, that is the thinking behind all of that. So each time it's used, I look, check every time it's used, if it meant we're going to heaven, it would have used the word uranos, meaning heaven. When it uses the word air, it's referring to the air you're in right now. It's not referring to up and there. There's no air out in outer space. There's no air in the high atmosphere. In fact, you run out of air. So, so if, for example, in Acts 22, 23, they cried out, tore off their clothes and threw dust in the air. So notice the dust didn't go in the atmosphere, the up into the stratosphere. The dust was just in the air around them. So when it says meet in the air, it's meeting in this atmosphere, in this air here. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 9.26, Paul writes, I, 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 he said, I fight not as one who beats the air. So he's not talking about up there, he's talking about the surrounding air. In 1 Corinthians 14.9, he, uh, he says, likewise, unless you speak by a tongue, words easy to understand, how will you know what is spoken? You'll be speaking into the air. So each of the examples that the word air is used, it's referring to the atmosphere that surrounds us. It's not referring to going right up into the sky. It's referring to the atmosphere which we live and breathe. And uh, if they wanted to use the word heaven, every time they want to refer to heaven, they use a different word. So to meet the Lord in the air means we're meeting him here. Yeah. It's yeah. not going up into heaven or anything. Yeah. It's actually a meeting him here in the atmosphere. So in Matthew uh, 3.17, a voice came from heaven. The word is used as a ranos, meaning heaven. 
If they say we're going to meet the Lord in the air, the, the word heaven, if we're going to be caught up, they use the right word. They always use the correct word for the situation. So uh, in verse uh, Revelation 4, one of these things I looked, behold, behold a door standing open in heaven. Heaven, Uranos, not air. So when we look at that scripture then, he says, we will meet the Lord in the air. It's not talking about going somewhere. It's talking about a welcoming someone who is arriving, a wow. welcoming, a dignity who is arriving and is coming here to establish his kingdom. Yeah. So, you know, if you hear a knock at the door, you open the door and welcome in the person who's coming. So this scripture here refers about not us exiting and going away somewhere. It talks about us actually greeting and meeting and welcoming someone who is arriving yes. with a retinue of Doesn't angels. Doesn't so that makes just a huge difference to how we perceive the end times? Oh, absolutely. And how, and how we perceive, because this whole concept, oh, suddenly all of a sudden, all these people are going to float up into heaven and they're going to be with the Lord up there and then he'll come back, whatever. But this is completely different. It's, it's just, and it's that whole culture of welcoming Jesus. We do that on a Sunday. We welcome him. Yeah. We do that in our prayer life. We welcome him. See, this is not about religion. This is about relationship. Absolutely. And that in the trials of life and what we're into in our lives, it's we welcome him into our trials and into our circumstances. Yes. I mean, it's, it's just so profound, Mike. It's, it's amazing. So, so, so when you look, he's talking here in 1 Thessalonians 4, he's talking to believers who are expecting the imminent return of the Lord. And at the beginning, of course, his challenge at the beginning is to walk worthy mm. or to walk uh, and not walk in uncleanness and so on. It's a challenge to godly walking. Now, not everyone responds to that challenge. So when he says we which are left will meet the Lord, he's referring to those walking godly because we saw in the chapter on the first resurrection how the first resurrection is a reward to attain to. So notice here then as we read the scripture, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel, the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. So it's very, very clear he's talking about Jesus returning. So he's not returning and taking us out and then returning again. He's descending. Mm. He's seen in the heavens. The heavens are rolled back and he's seen. Then now he's coming and he's coming to establish his kingdom. So oh. then he's saying then this is what, it, what you need to understand. The dead will rise first. So he's now referring to a resurrection. So the word uh, caught up. The word which is translated rapture is the word harpazo, to be snatched, to be seized. It also means to occupy an office. Now, now, the catching up then is to be brought into resurrection, the first resurrection, and into a realm of authority with him. Yes. Just as the, the, the wise virgins went out to meet him and welcomed him, come back to the celebration, now he's talking here about those who are overcomers being changed, transformed, along with overcomers in every generation and are celebrating meeting with him. <laughs> How about that? Well, I mean, it's stunning because the whole issue is if you go back to Matthew 25 and the bride, bridegroom, and they now they go into a place of feasting, the marriage supper of the Lamb. But actually, what we're talking about is now a place of rulership, authority, yes. and power, yes. and celebration yes. that Christ has come, established His kingdom on the earth, and and you know, um, 
all the issues. All the issues. So I and we, we saw that Paul wrote, uh, you know, in Philippians 3, 1 Corinthians 9, he talked about a prize to be won. Yes. He talks in Ephesians about a great hope that we need revelation yeah. about. Yeah. So all his teaching uh, from the latter part of uh, Acts, he's talking about something that needs to be contended for, needs to be walked towards. We need to live a life that we counted worthy for it. And then he's talking about the first resurrection. He said, I haven't attained to it yet. But I, leaving everything behind, forgetting the things that are behind, I press towards the things that are before. That, and, he, and he's talking about the high call of God. This is what this is referring to. So reading the words there, he says very clearly that the dead in Christ, those out of every generation who have been overcomers from the beginning of time, yep, yep. will arise. And then we which are left will also be changed immediately and our body transformed to the likeness of his body, we will enter into the first resurrection. Now, you, it's hard to comprehend what it would be like to be on the earth in a resurrected body, like Jesus' body, and to be never able to die again, never, never, never going to get sick, never going to grow old, in a resurrected body, able to transport instantly from one place to the other, be able to move into the heavens and out of the heavens, to be able to do that. And then the rest of the, rest of the people, that's not happening for them. I would hate to have been left out of that. I mean, I think there's everything. I, mean, I do not want to be left out of that first resurrection. I want to attain to that yes. first resurrection. <laughs> Whatever it takes, I want to be part of this. Yeah. There's so much at stake here. Mike, can we just have a bit of a clarification? Questions come through on verse 17 of 1 Thessalonians 4. Um, then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So you've got clouds and air. Can you, are you able to... So when he talks meeting the... Hello? When he talks about meeting the Lord in the clouds, I think the first thing is, every time you look at this, you've got to say, what did it mean to the people he's writing to? So when he's talking about meeting the Lord in the clouds, it's a direct reference back to the Old Testament where the people were invited up to meet God in the mount in the clouds, and there was a cloud of glory Very came down over the mountain, and Moses thing. entered the cloud of glory. Very right? good. Wow, that's so, brilliant. So, so immediately they hear that in the clouds. They're not thinking about being caught up to natural clouds. They're thinking of the cloud of glory. Yes. When we think of cloud, we, we've never, that's not our legacy, like in terms yeah. of naturally, but, but for them, the cloud led them. Okay, now, so, 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 so sometimes the, the word cloud will refer to cloud of glory, the yeah. cloud of God's presence. But clouds can also be used to refer to people. Now, so, so it talks in Jude 1, it's all about clouds without water, people who are, uh, who are not walking with God, who pretend to be something they're not, mm. and they're clouds without water. So clouds can refer to people. Wow. So, so uh, he, he said he talks about a cloud of, of witnesses, a great cloud of witnesses. So it's like, so when it's talking about the cloud there, I think it's most likely referring to the company of people coming with the Lord. Very good. Thank meeting you. him in the clouds. We're meeting him along with a throng of witnesses from, to Christ who have lived an overcoming life out of generations. We will meet with him in the clouds of great witnesses in the air, here. Okay. 
That would, that would seem to make it really very, easy to get. Very good. Now, Mike, um, Matthew 24, 37 to 45, and this really is Jesus speaking and bringing really a summation of all of this stuff that we've been talking about. So let's have a, um, let me read it very quickly. Uh, Matthew 24, verse 37 to 45, for the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. Wow. All right. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. Now, I've got a question here. Do you believe that what's happening now in the world, that we've, um, that we've entered into the end times? Well, absolutely, we've entered into the end times. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. Away, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then there will be two in the field, and one will be taken, one will be left. Two women grinding at the mill, one will be taken, one left. Therefore be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. Be, but be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at the hour when you do not think he will. Who then is a faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? We don't want to talk about your message this morning because we haven't got time. But you see, Mike, here is where there's so much controversy. I'm going to make a few statements that I want you to bring clarification. Okay. See, it says that in the last days, it's going to be like the days of Noah. And there are two in the field, one's taken, one left. And the question is, who was taken and who was left? Well, quite obviously, the ones that were left were those who had the ark. They yes. were able to enter the ark. The others that were taken were killed. They were drowned by the flood. Two women grinding on the mill, one taken and one left. So the ones that were taken, they were killed, who had not prepared an ark. And then those that stayed were those who were in the ark. And then he says, and then of course there's a warning. You don't know when this is going to happen, but you better be ready. Now, I just want you to talk about what was it that, that made Noah so distinctive that actually he was able to survive the flood, or if we could call it, the Great Tribulation. Well, of course, as you look at that, you know, you realise or you, 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 you we're reminded that you know, there's been this great book came out, Left Behind. Yeah. <laughs> now, so when you look at this one taken, one left, you've got to ask the question, who was taken, who was left? Yeah. So most of the rapture teaching, or many of the rapture teaching, is that the one taken uh, is, is the believer. Yeah. And the one left behind is the unsaved, and now they're going to be through all the tribulation kind of thing like that. So that's the position that people take. Yeah. And then there's all these movies that come out, and you see people suddenly vanishing, plane just crashes out of the sky, and the pilot's gone, all this kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, I won't even watch it's that stuff. It's, it's so chaotic. Stupid. It is chaotic. But when you look in here, the thread of teaching is primarily about warning to be prepared. So all of the teaching follows a thread of being prepared. So through here, he uses the example of Noah. Uh, in, in, the, in, in, the, in Luke 19, he used the example of Lot as well. And so he says, as it was in the days of Noah. And what was going on in the days of Noah, there was an increase of violence in the earth. There was an increase of uh, sexual sin of all kinds in the earth. There was... All kinds of horrendous things. There was demonic invasion of the earth. 
which we go right back to Genesis 6, and we find then a manifestation of demonic entities in a massive way. So there was wide-scale invasion of the earth of demonic entities, violence, corruption, and so on. And so God is wanting to preserve his seed. The earth is for the righteous. The earth was made for the, you know, the meek inherit the earth. Wow. And so we see in this scripture, he says, of that day and that hour, no one knows except even the angels in heaven. Only my father knows. As the days of Noah were, so it will be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Before the flood, they're eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. So it describes what everyone's doing, just going on through life until the day he entered the ark. Now notice here, he entered the ark. The ark was something he built. Yeah. And we read in Hebrews chapter 11, by faith, being warned of things to come, he prepared an ark for the saving of his household. Okay, so he was warned of an event which would come, and the warning was, prepare to build. Now, we're in the same position. Yes. Being warned of things to come. A judgment of God on the earth, living in the hours when people are eating and drinking, doing whatever they want to do, where there's an increase in violence and lawlessness, increase of demonic influence, increase of all these things, we are warned to prepare. Now, we're not going to build a boat. We, we, we need to be aware that we must prepare our hearts. Our building is an internal building. The building is the building of a life with God. And, and we need to be in a place of preparation because everything is about the preparation. So you follow the theme of all the parables through. Look at, the, look at look what he says. he says. He says over and over, prepare, watch, pray, be ready. So you, you started off with one of the parables there, the parable, uh, and that's the parable of the household of God. And, and it talks of two servants, one servant who is feeding the household for meat in due season. In other words, they are going about the business of loving and serving the people of God. But the other one said in his heart, my Lord delays his coming, he begins to beat the manservant. So it's talking then of in the, in, the, in the time of the coming, within the household of God, there'll be those who've learnt to love and serve the people of God, there'll be those who abuse them and mistreat them. Then he goes straight on to the parable. There's no chapter division, and it's all about the warning is make sure you are prepared and ready. Watch and pray. So, so he's over and over, watch and pray, make yourself ready. Parable of the virgins, those who are ready have prepared themselves, paid the price of intimacy. They are welcomed into the feast. The disciple or the servant who had uh, been loving and serving the household of God is brought into a place of authority. Then it goes on the parable of the talents. The servant who had been serving and using his gift and being productive is brought then into the place of authority. So, so he's using then the story of Noah saying, here's what happens. When the Son of Man comes, here's the bottom line. You need to have heard God's voice and prepared or it'll take you unawares. So the whole theme of this is about preparation and the suddenness of the coming. When you, when you, if you're prepared, you'll come into what God has for you. If you're unprepared, it'll catch you like a thief in the night and you'll suffer loss. Yeah. That's really the, the core of it all is, is summed up around that. You know, Mike, the, the, the thing that we, we've got to understand is from the moment Jesus started teaching, he was actually teaching about this period of time. Yes. The whole of the Gospels the are about the kingdom. 
being um, pr- the, the principles of personal preparation yeah. and lifestyle and all the rest of it so that you qualify. Absolutely. Because Jesus wants a group of people with spiritual authority and power who can rule with him for a thousand years. Yes. But you see, most people read these parables as evangelistic tools. They're right. not evangelistic no, tools. They're they're, not. No. They, they are, the, the parables, parables are the all kingdom. about the kingdom and personal preparation yes. and what he requires to qualify. Now, I, I want to raise up that, that you made this quick, you quoted this quick verse, the meek shall inherit the earth. Now, you see, that's about Character. character of the kingdom. So if you're going to inherit the earth, in other words, come to a place of authority, power, and governance with Christ for a thousand years, you've got to be meek. I mean, explain that for a little bit, please. Well, we are called, I shared on sonship, three things we're called to as sons. One is intimacy with God as our father, which is the source of revelation, of life, of authority, and power. Also gives direction to our assignment. Also, it's the source of transformation. Secondly, we're called to be transformed, to become like Christ. And thirdly, we're called to an assignment to fulfill. Now, all of those are seen in these three parables. The one in the household is transformed and is loving and serving the house. In the parable of the virgins, it's about intimacy. It's the parable of the talents. It's about service. All of it is about preparing. So when it says the meek inherit the the earth, Jesus is describing the character of, required to occupy the realm of leadership. So we see him say, for example, in, um, in Matthew uh, eleven twenty nine, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. He said, take my yoke on you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. You shall find rest for your souls. Now, what he's saying about himself is this. He's revealing the heart character of the kingdom. I am, and he identifies out of all the qualities, two key qualities. I am meek and humble in heart. Wow. So now he says, now if we just go back to that again. He says, now, if you're burdened, troubled, pressured about all kinds of stresses, he says this, he says, come to me. In other words, it's always about the person of Christ, not about a ministry, a meeting, or about any kind of thing. It's coming to a person, to a relationship. And then he says, take my yoke on you. Now, when we read that, as Westerners, we think of a cattle, two cattle bees loke together, all that kind of thing. Well, that's okay, but that's not what it means. If you were to Google yoke, that's what it would come up with. If you were to Google yoke of the rabbi, then it would tell you a different answer. It would say, to take my yoke upon you when Jesus is a rabbi means, I want you for your burden, come to me to intimate relationship. Let me teach you how to do life. Mm. Let me show you how to apply the word of God to kingdom living as it's meant to be lived. Mm. Learn of me. Let me teach you because this is my heart character, meek and humble. And, of course, the promises are if we humble ourselves, God will lift us up and elevate us to authority. Jesus humbled himself to obedience, wherefore God has highly exalted him and given him an authority. And secondly, meek inherit the earth. So humility causes God to elevate our status, position, and authority. Meekness causes causes him to expand our influence and connection. Meekness is having strength and authority under control. The opposite of meek is being angry, where you just, you, you, you just explode 
uh, over people. Meekness means I've got my life and character under control. I can manage provocation. I can manage rejection. I can manage indifference. I can manage persecution without reacting. Oh. So you understand then that if you are to qualify for authority in the coming kingdom, you must develop the character of the king. Humility and meekness. Mm. Hence, part of God's work right now is not just you have an assignment to do, it's to develop the kind of character that would qualify you for authority in the coming kingdom. All of it's about the kingdom. His message was totally about the kingdom. Yes, it was. It was. You know, Mike, um, and one of the things I want to just say here tonight is, you know, I've done um, considerable research on the whole thing of the rapture from 1830 to 1860 and, when, and how that was brought in. But one of the things that was stated when that teaching came into the church, it would cause the church to just basically sit back, get lazy and go to sleep. Mm. And actually, what we have today, generally speaking, is a very me-orientated gospel and mm. teaching, and actually Christians just sitting back enjoying the wonders of his grace without any personal responsibility understood that actually God requires things of you. And, and you see, that type of attitude came in at a, in 1860 with the teaching of the rapture people getting, getting out of this because they did not understand that everything about what Jesus was doing was preparation for a kingdom company who were Absolutely. overcomers, who could rule and reign with him for a thousand years and then go on into eternity when there's a new heavens and a new earth and so on and so forth. It's all about this whole dynamic. And so God is preparing us. He's requiring change in our yes. lives. He's requiring us to look at the whole issue of what it truly is to be meek and humble and to say, okay, I've, there's a weakness here, there's a problem here, and we face and deal with that stuff. We can't ignore that. That is actually the foundation of what Jesus taught and so much of it has been missed because of the rapture teaching. Absolutely. Well, it tends to lead towards passivity yeah. and lack of engagement and a passion for what God is passionate about. Yes. And it leads to immense selfishness because I'm okay and you all deserve to be punished anyway. So it, 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 it can lead in many people to withdrawal from assignment. Yes. Jesus said, I, I came not to judge the world, I came to save it. So when we catch his heart, we catch his passion to save the world, to save people. Yeah. And so the rapture teaching on the whole, as many people present it, gives him, it doesn't really matter, he's going to pull you out anyway, so don't worry. Don't worry, yeah. So it, it's like saying there's the big guy in the ring and the little guy in the ring, and the little guy's getting a hammering right through the whole thing, and then suddenly a hook comes out and pulls him out, and he won. And that's ridiculous. Yeah. He didn't win. Yeah. He got hooked out. <laughs> God's plan is we win. It's always been about us winning. It's always been about a company of people overcoming. His plan has never altered. When you, what you're talking about there is the removal from the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom. Exactly, because... and, and uh, Man, I mean, you're going to get me started now. You oh, see, come on, go then. But, well, 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 you see, people, I like winding Brent up. Well, 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 you see, people teach that, you know, Jesus is going to come back when the gospel is preached to all the nations. But that's not what it says. It says he'll come back when the gospel of the kingdom yes. 
is preached to all the nations. But they leave that part out. Yes. And as a result, the whole everything's delayed because we've been preaching a, a deficient gospel. It's the gospel of the kingdom, which has got to do with rulership, authority, power, and um, you know, dunamis, uh, the power of the Holy Ghost, character change, meekness, humility, all of that sort of stuff. In order, that's the gospel of the kingdom. Absolutely. So people present a yeah. partial Jesus. Yes, they do. They present him as the saviour, and he will bless me. Yes. But that's a partial truth. He's a king. Yes. And as the king, the first revelation of the kingdom is the revelation of his authority and my need to align with it. Yes. And that means to bring myself under obedience to him and into alignment. And it's not a hard thing to do, but that's what I'm called to do. But see, see, How can I have authority if I won't come under authority? But you see, and here is where Genesis 1 becomes so critical. Yes. We were created to rule. Yes. And you see, that got absolutely destroyed by what Adam and Eve did. So we lost that. And so now he's trying to restore us back to the original mandate to rule, to yes. rulership. Yeah. We see, here's, here's where the problem is, is people focus around, and there's nothing wrong with putting a focus on this. They focus around the fall of man and getting saved. Yeah. yeah. But, but you understand that the plan of God was to create man to share rulership with him. And so this, this, like a dip in the path coming down where we need saving, is to restore us back to the original plan. Yes. And the original plan was man would have dominion. So Psalm 8, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you visit him, for you've created him a little lower than Elohim God himself. You have created him to have dominion over all the works of your hands. You've crowned him with glory and honor. That is the man God created crowned with glory and honor, made for dominion. Now, that's what was lost in the garden. We lost the relationship. We lost the glory. We lost the dominion. What is promised to the overcomer? Intimacy, glory, and dominion. It's like you can look at all the promises to the overcomer. There's many of them, but you can actually categorize them under the three headings Intimacy, eternal intimacy, deep, deep intimacy, being included in the Godhead and being loved deeply in intimacy as the Father loves the Son, included in sharing his glory. There's, there's a glory will come upon people in the resurrection. And one star differs from another in glory, so will it be in the resurrection. We will differ from one another in glory. So your measure of glory will be visible to all for eternity. And then realms of authority. So uh, in, in the parable, say, of example of the talents, it's all about very simply, will you uh, serve the Lord and be productive with what you have so you can develop the faithfulness needed to qualify for that kind of rulership? I mean, once you start, the whole theme of Jesus' teaching, New Testament, is all about the kingdom. It is. Well, Mike, look, um, we've gone over the hour. Oh, my goodness. We always do. Yeah. <laughs> and so we've got to bring it. And I am have already asked for Mike to come back and do some more of these because there is so much more. To, who, would you like to have Mike come back? <laughs> and... Um, you know, this, this to me is, is the central issue of the Bible, what we've talked Absolutely. about here tonight. Kingdom. Yes. Kingdom of God, right from Genesis 1, 26, 27, it talks about the mandate on man 
and then Jesus just reinforced it. And you know, one of the things, that I'm, and we're going to finish with this. I'm going to hand over to you, and he's going to pray for people. But you see, John the Baptist, Jesus, the New Testament church—they all said the same thing: the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is at, at hand. hand. Yeah. You see, it was all about the kingdom, and most people have watered it down to talking about the gospel. So if I just perhaps have a couple of closing comments on it. The key thing about it is not getting your doctrine right on this, perhaps as much as preparing your heart to be ready. So in Luke 21, 34, take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be burdened with wild living, drunkenness, the cares of life, and the day catch you unexpectedly. It will come as a snare for all who dwell on the face of the earth. Watch, therefore, and pray that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. Notice there, watch and pray. You'd be considered in your lifestyle worthy of this high calling. Matthew 13, what I say to you, disciples, I say to all, watch. And his warning is, lest he find you sleeping when he come. Matthew 25, watch. You know not the day nor the hour where the Son of Man comes. So you notice the warnings are quite consistent. Matthew 24, be ready for the Son of Man comes at an hour when you're not, not, you're not going to expect. So all of that is prepare. So even if you don't have all the details of how it's all going to work out right, what is required is intimacy, it's growing in character and it's faithful serving that you stay alive and passionate and engaged in your Christian life in expanding the kingdom. Wow. You know, the, the amazing, that's the core of it. That's the core. And the amazing thing is he gave us the Holy Spirit called the Spirit of Truth, who is a revealer of secrets. And as Paul said in, in, in Ephesians, that I pray that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened. There's the whole spirit of revelation and wisdom and so on. I mean, God has given us the tools to be able to be prepared. Yes. He hasn't left us alone on this issue that we've got to struggle well, with it. Well, of course, he's given the fivefold ministry gifts. Yes. Not to do a performance. Oh, but to prepare the saints for the work of Don't ministry to bring them <laughs> to bring them into maturity yeah. and so so the problem is if the church just pastors and cares for people and doesn't mature them it's failing in its mandate absolutely it is Aye. Well, we kind of open a can of worms every time we have these meetings. Oh, don't Mike, we? I'm so exhausted. I'm exhausted <laughs> after tonight. <laughs> but it's fantastic. Mike, I, I just think it would be really good to pray for people tonight again. Amen. And, um, you know, one of, the, one of the things I often appreciate is, you know, when you've got a particular anointing or a gifting to impart that. You know what? I'd, uh, unless you've really got the Holy Ghost speaking to you about something, um, if you do, then I'll just surrender to that. But if you haven't, I think you are an outstanding, revelatory Bible teacher. Thank you. And I think you're one of the best in New Zealand. And I believe you carry a spirit of revelation upon you. And I believe that there are seasons and moments in time when you could lay hands on people and release that spirit mm. of revelation mm. that you carry and mm. then you impart. Mm. One of the things that I have felt the Lord speaking to me is that we, are, we have started a move of God through what we've been doing here. 
It's a move of God of teaching the word of God. Not just nice messages, but getting into the depth of the word of God. And, and I, I, you know, I've been in a move of God like this back in the 1980s. I know what it feels like. And you have this sense, which I know you can feel. You're almost on the edge of your seat and thinking, I don't know whether I'm comfortable being here or not, but it, it's, it's, it's actually a move of God. <laughs> it's actually a move of God. And, Mike, if, if you're in agreement... Sure. I think it would be good to just lay hands and just and impart the spirit of revelation so that we, each one of us, could receive a deposit from you and the gift and the anointing on your life that you paid a great price for. But I know that the people here are hungry for the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. They're hungry for more of this truth and that the Lord would open this up for them. Would you be agreed yeah, to pray absolutely. in that area? Well, Paul said, I pray that you will receive the spirit of wisdom yeah. and revelation in the knowledge of him that you might know the hope of your calling and the riches of his inheritance in the saints and the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe. In other words, he's praying for this impartation. Yes, he is. Because we need it. We do need and it. And yeah. I, I came under a ministry that brought impartation to me. I know my son carries it now. I love listening to my son preach because he opens the word up and brings revelation. Yeah. I love it. It is a, we are able to impart that to people. Yeah. That's the role of teachers and a teaching gift is not just to teach but to impart that spirit of revelation to people. Wow. Now remember, this comes out of prayer comes out of hunger for God. It comes out of searching the Word of God. So if you're hungry to search the Word of God, start to look. I believe that as we lay hands on you, God will impart something. You'll start to open your eyes. You'll start to see things. And then you get so excited. I just get so excited and about the Word being opened up. And I think, oh, i got to go and study. That's the thing that comes on you. You're the hunger for the Word. I'm hungry for the Word. And yet there's so few places you go where people really open it up. So I'm really happy to pray. I think it'd be a great thing to pray for people and to pray for those online, watching online. We love to pray that a spirit of wisdom and revelation will come over you. And I would encourage you to go back through these series and just play them over again. Just let the, not, Don't just worry about all the little things that are spoken. Let the spirit that's upon it come over your life. Yeah, yeah. Let the anointing will flow over. See, when I teach, I have an anointing on me. I can't write what I teach. Because it comes clear, I, I can feel it come on me like one, two, three, four. Click, 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 click. I can feel the clarity in my head thinking as I'm speaking. And you've seen that when I can, I can share and it's like it's very clear. It's, a, it's an anointing to teach. It's an anointing of revelation. Hmm. And I love to impart that to people. Love to impart it. I, lo- I, I want to impart to you a love for the word and the spirit of revelation. Open it. Develop a love for the word, not just for spiritual experiences. And, and, and give yourself to reading the word, underlining it, looking up meanings, asking God, write down the revelations God gives you and share them. That's how, it's as we take in what we receive and put it out again, that's when it starts to flow. If you, if you just keep it all to yourself, you won't grow in this at all. So, so it's this pray tonight, it's pray.
Come on, people, you want prayer for this? Let's get up. We want to pray for people online as well. want to pray for an impartation. Those who are here, just come. Come and just lift your hands to the Lord right now. I want your prayer to be, God, give me a hungry. I want the spirit of wisdom and revelation, the knowledge of you. I want revelation to come to me. I want that prophetic anointing that opens the word of God. I want that flow of the spirit that causes the word to come alive to me. So that I'm starting to feed off God in that quiet place. Come on, you begin. Let's begin to raise our voice in prayer. Come on, begin to pray in the spirit right now. Let's begin to lift our voice to Him. I can't hear many liftings of voices. That's right. Lift your voice. Lift your voice. Let the hunger rise up. Oh, Kura baba baba bashi karabadiyatai. Ella barata rabagarabadiyatai. Ella baranda. If you're watching online right now, just lift your hands to the Lord. Lift your voice to the Lord. Begin to cry out to Him right now for revelation to come to you, for the spirit of revelation. Wisdom to come upon you in the knowledge of Him. Possibly come and help me with the laying on of hands in a moment. Father, we come to you right now. We are hungry for revelation. We are hungry for the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Lord, we lift our voices and cry out to you today for the outpouring of that anointing. Lord, today, I thank you for what you've given me. Now, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I release over those who are watching. I release over each of you who are here. I release the teaching anointing. I release the spirit of revelation. I release the spirit of revelation in the knowledge of Him. I release the spirit of wisdom in understanding upon you. I release it upon you now in Jesus' name. Are you ready to receive? Are you ready to receive? I'm going to count to three and then release it over you. If you're watching online at the count of three, I want you to receive an impartation. One, two, three, receive in Jesus' name. I release that impartation over your life right now. I release the spirit of wisdom. I release the spirit of revelation. I command eyes to open. I command dullness to go. I command the spirit of heaviness to go. I come against every spirit of witchcraft that would cause slumber and sleep. I command you to release people now. In Jesus' name, loose the spirit of sleep lumber go. I release revelation in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, start to come upon. The Holy Ghost coming on you right now. I see Him coming on you right now. There it is, the presence of God.